Oh, hi there. Welcome to Better Words. I'm Michelle and I'm from the Unfinished Bookshelf. And I'm Caitlin and I'm from Just a Bookish Babe. How are you, Caitlin? I'm good. You know, I've actually been thinking about mm-hmm. changing my blog name, but I also can't really be bothered. <laughs> but There's I, no shame in it. Yeah. I don't know. Not necessarily thinking about changing it, just thinking that just a bookish babe. Like it's got just and bookish in it and I am not. Like we, half of this podcast is like talking about <laughs> That's movies true. or podcasts yeah. or we're music. Not just bookish we're, not, babes. we're not just bookish. Yeah. You know, that's why we didn't give this podcast a bookish, a title. bookish name. <laughs> I mean, words is still in the title, but I don't know. I might come back to this later. I just mm. thought I'd mention it because I just said it and I was like, huh. You know, like when you say it out loud and you're like, it sounds funny or something. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Yeah. I've always liked it though. I thought it was cute. Yeah, it is cute. Like, I think it suits your personality. Thanks. <laughs> so I have an assignment due this week and I'm not stressed out about it. <gasps> I know. Yay! This is amazing and it's worth 40%. You know what? Why just, am I not stressing? <laughs> I don't know. But you know what image like just got into my head? Have you seen the duff? No. I'm sure we could find a gif of this. So she, like the main character, like, you know, it's like, oh, nervous about like, this one guy she likes. It's a teen comedy. But, mm, you know, I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she asks him out and then when he like walks away or whatever, she's like, oh, yes, and like her arms out, head back, and it plays like the ode to joy and like she's <laughs> like, got like streamers and everything and it's like, amazing she's like I'm amazing and I'm like that's what I just pictured like I'm not stressed about an assignment I feel feel so like what like is this I'm just I went into a bookstore the other day I didn't buy books like I'm an adult now I had left like I had overripe bananas I made banana bread instead of throwing them out like what is this (laughs) new me you know, what? half the time I swear I buy bananas just so that they'll get gross and then I make banana bread. <laughs> I've never done it because I'm too lazy. Oh. And I did it, but I just, I have had a really productive weekend of relaxing because I spent Friday and Saturday nights getting really creative with my assignment. So my assignment is, I've actually, sp- I've spoken to like lots of people online about it. Um but I haven't spoken about it on the podcast. It's a long form creative nonfiction piece. It's true crime. And I've spent hours upon hours. I've spent every lunch break at, at the library for like a week looking through microfilm mm. of our old newspapers. In the past week and a half ish, we were supposed <laughs> to have lunch like two times. And Michelle was like, can't, gotta research. research. Or then she was like, I don't have to research today. We can have lunch. <laughs> and then we forgot what we were yeah. supposed to. We, were, we forgot what we were supposed to talk about. The whole time we were like, there's something serious podcast. We were like, we, we were going to gonna plan something or talk about something. And we totally forgot and just. We forgot for like a week until today. I was like, I remember what we were going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's our life. We're so organized. Anyway, I have been really organized with this project and it's now we're recording this on Monday night, goes to air on Wednesday. And I've sent it off to like four other people, lovely writer friends who are who are, who know nothing about the case and can tell me if it all connects up. Um, my boss is going to read it because he is one of the main sources of information because he was a reporter at the time on the case. And so he's going to let me know, but it's good to have people who aren't connected to it, read it and be like, yeah, yeah this makes sense. Yeah. Uh, opinion. I'm really, really happy. Like I could hand it in as it is, but I'm sure there are some little tweaks to do, but I've never felt this 
prepared prepared for a 40% assignment mm-hmm. like and when I think of the hours of research that have gone into it, I'm like really, really happy with it. So hopefully that's reflected in the grade, hopefully. Uh, then we take this project and we basically write it in a different way. And because I had so much research, I'm doing another creative nonfiction piece, but a bit more of like a reflection on the community at the time. And it all happened before Facebook, which being a reporter now, it's really interesting to look back and like literally ask my boss when he was like the whole town was talking about it. And I was like, but how do you, do you, how know? Do you know? Because like, I don't, I don't want to sound like a silly millennial, but, and I know that things happened before, but like literally like just down to the nitty gritty of, I don't just want to say everyone was talking about how, how were they talking yeah. about it? And that to me is fascinating because I was five when this happened and it was in 1999. So it was really before the internet was in common use, let alone the Social way media. it's reported yeah. now. And there were eyewitnesses at the time um, who saw this crime happen. And I just think, gosh, now they'd probably video it and be up on Facebook and, it, you know, it, it would be such a different environment yeah. now. And I think that's really interesting to reflect on. So thanks, everyone, for listening to my thesis about my uni assignment. Um, <laughs> let's get back to the podcast. Um, because of that, I've been reading lots of nonfiction and I have a new writing idol um, and it's Helen Garner. Um, Is that a new writing idol? It's new for me. But... Haven't you read her stuff before? I've read one of her books before and she's amazing, yes, but then I started reading her true crime, not true crime, true stories, which is her anthology of short nonfiction, and I really decided, I was like, I want to write like you. Like <laughs> it was, you know, it goes from that moment of being like, I really appreciate and admire your writing to being like, how can I become you? I want to be like you. Yeah. Like when I grow up, I want to be Helen Garner. Like that sort of like her journalism is next level. And I had previously only read This House of Grief by hers, which was an amazing true crime novel. And since then for researching creative nonfiction for this project, I've also read The First Stone, which is about power and sexual assault. And I have a lot of mixed feelings. Mm. She wrote it a long time ago and I want to research how her views have changed. From a feminist perspective, I had a lot of mixed feelings about it. really, even in recent history, the attitudes and sort of understanding around that area has changed a lot. And and she sort of talks about her own take on things like it's very much she puts herself into the narrative a lot in this particular one which is quite old and then um like I said I started reading her uh true stories collection which text released as an anthology last year mm-hmm. and the first story like she just is so concise in her writing but just punches you in the gut with emotion and like I said she just I want to write like Helen Garner <laughs> so I get it I get the hype on chat 10 looks three I get why I love Garner she is spectacular great so yeah <laughs> I don't really <laughs> know what my to life. say so okay I'll 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 take over again um no we finally finished watching Santa Clarita diet as oh well. good so in between the research my relaxation has been watching Santa Clarita diet it's so good oh my god love that show I haven't actually done any research what a shocker is there gonna be season three I have absolutely no idea. There has hope, to be, though. I hope so. <laughs> I loved the way this ended. Like, you just, you think, oh, my God, they're in a corner. There's no getting out of this now. And then, twist. It's uh, so clever. I feel like I want to rewatch it already. It's so funny. So good. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Speaking of wanting to rewatch things already, 
I finally, finally, finally finished watching. Yes. Gossip Girl. Yes. <laughs> I did finally finish watching Gossip Girl. I was like, oh, it's going to be awkward if she hasn't finished that one. No, I finished Gossip Girl. Oh, my God, I get so sucked in. I, lo- <laughs> I have to say the way everything comes together at the end, I really appreciated it because they were all like so chill about it. And I was like, you know what? This is like, I think it's really good. I really like the ending of Gossip Girl. Did you see, and we are going to spoil who Gossip Girl is in this part of the discussion because it came out ages ago. Um, So skip if you haven't watched it. Um, Did you see the thing where it was meant to be Eric and then someone guessed, like a tabloid guessed it at the end of like the first season. So then they had to switch it to being Dan, which is why the first season isn't quite as obviously Dan. See, I still it, kind it, of it, think it is. It makes like it, it makes so much sense though that it's Eric when you look at the first season only, and then it starts to lean more towards yeah, Dan. Probably, and apparently, like the writers just came out and were like, or I saw something which I don't know whether it was like they just, re- but they said they had it as Eric, and then they had to change it because they're like, well, we can't have it what they actually guessed. Yeah. So they had to take it in a new direction, which explains why, like, I've went rewatched season one and be like, yeah, it's not as obvious. Like, yeah, they do kind of mislead, and I did think it was Eric for a long time. Yeah, I don't know because I admit I watched, I've watched the series all the way through twice now. Like, I just finished my second watch, and I've known that Dan was Gossip time. Girl the entire yeah. time. I've never watched an episode of Gossip Girl without knowing who Gossip Girl is. Yeah, so that probably makes a difference. I yeah. honestly thought it was Eric for a long time. Yeah. I just like at the end when even because Serena goes to see Dan like in the very last episode and he like starts explaining it and she is dead set and, and he's like and he's saying so this happened and this happened and this is why this happened and he and she's like so you went and told all this to Jenny and she was and that was the start of Gossip Girl. It's like were you even listening? <laughs> no. He is Gossip Girl. <laughs> oh. Anyway. But um, the other thing that I really finished watching was Supergirl, The Flash, and Arrow. Oh my god, what will you do with your life? I don't know. That's why I think <laughs> you finished I need to... everything. I finished everything. I finished all my shows. So I've talked about all of those a lot because I actually started watching um the most recent seasons of all three and the first season of Supergirl um on Boxing Day because they all cross over. Yeah, so you had to time it. I had to time it and like what oh it was it was mental. I've written a blog post. It's this week's <laughs> blog post. So um Oh that's why it's on your mind. Yeah. <laughs> well no, I finished them. It is Monday night. I have been working on this blog post for a bit. I didn't write it all tonight, but I finished it up tonight to publish tomorrow morning, being Tuesday, even though it says on Wednesday. Um but I only finished watching the series yesterday with my brother. The last episode of Arrow. Oh my god, so dramatic! I love it, but I—I I mean, there's not much point in saying anything because either you've watched it or you haven't, and you won't have any idea what I'm talking about if you haven't. But hit us up if you have. There's a, there's a lot of dramatic stuff. Basically, at the end of all three, someone or multiple people are dead or gone forever, and it's like serious business. Oh, oh my god! If you want something to lighten up. They just added Gavin and Stacey to Australian yes! Netflix. I'm I know, I saw that. I know. It's so good. Only because my DVD of season two got a bit scratched. So I was just like, let's just watch it on Netflix. Fair enough. Yeah, you've it's been so telling me good. to watch that show like the entire time I've known you. So it's, time it's, to get on it. 
Oh, it's, it's so clever. Like you can't say, like James Corden co-wrote it and um, it with Ruth Jones and they it's so funny. So they good. are so good. This is James Corden pre-anything in America, pre-Into the Woods. British. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, and like he he's lost a lot of weight since then. He, lo- he looks very different in Gavin and Stacey. He is just so funny. Smithy is the best character. <laughs> like they all are just, it's a bunch of misfits and it's so funny. I love it. I'll have to watch that one. The other new show that I think I'm going to watch that my brother recommended to me is Grimm. Oh, so it's like yeah. it's like a policeman or something and he's yes. like the last of he's like the last Grimm, like the Grimm brothers. I think I came out and Jack was watching that one day. Like I saw a bit of it oh, and of it looks creepy was. but We're good. Like so, so I know. Taste. Anyway, um so <laughs> you yeah. You guys should do this podcast. He's yeah. like the last Grimm. It um, looked good. Yeah, so what he's I like, saw. Creepy yeah. but good. Yeah, it Don't seems watch it at night. It seems interesting. <laughs> Don't watch it at night. It seemed a bit How, creepy. Yeah, but like is it is it going to be worse than like you know any other shows? I've I don't watched? know. I you mean, don't watch as much dark stuff. Like I watch lots of serial killer stuff, and I had to say to Jack, like I was getting, I was getting really like when I get stressed, I get really bad vivid nightmares, and mm-hmm. I was having like dreams about murderers murdering people I know and stuff, and it was all bringing in like it would bring in like work anxiety and all this family drama, and then like stick someone from Mindhunter in there, and I was like, I think we need to give the serial killer stuff a break. And while I've been working on this true crime piece, I've been like, let's watch something light and fun because I just yeah. don't want to. Isn't watch. it funny that Santa Clarita Diet, which is that's about my murder, light and fun thing, that that's been my light and fun classes as light and fun, even though it's murder, but it's funny. Kind of like Scream Queens. Oh, I have ball legs. Oh, that's oh, hilarious. That's good. I know. I still haven't got the you to watch Scream. The whole Ramona thing. I need to watch Scream Queens. Yeah, I still haven't got you to watch that. But I you would, would like, like to it. watch that. You would like it. Yeah. I'm going to start. Um, I'm going to be watching over the next few weeks. I'm going to prepare for one of our upcoming episodes in the future by watching and reading a few book to movie adaptations. Yeah. So we're really excited to talk about that. Yes. It's yeah. a very good topic. <laughs> um. Is there anything else we need to mention in this introduction before we move on to our guest? Well, I mean, it's a small, it's a small step, but you know, I have like an aversion to classics and I keep buying them and I'm like, I'll read them, I'll read them. And then I don't, mm-hmm. I got a bunch of those little black classics, um, during recent bookshop trips and stuff on like on holidays and everything. Cause our bookshop here doesn't have them. No. And I finally made it through the Oscar Wilde one, which is called Only Dull People Are Brilliant at Breakfast. <laughs> and it's like a collection of, I don't actually know much history about the book itself, but it's like a collection of sayings and stuff. And I don't know whether it's from lots of his different books or like personal writings, but just lots of his thoughts on life really. And I really, really loved it. Oh, there was good. some beautiful stuff in there and I read it in like a morning. So, or like I read it over a couple of different sittings. I just read a couple of pages and stuff, but I was like, oh, I've read something by Oscar Wilde, even if it's not an actual, like I'm getting closer to finishing that, is- that book. Good. It's a big step for me. That is a big step. The next That's thing, very good. The next thing I think is I want to cross off in True Blood by Truman Capote because I've been doing all this true crime mm. stuff. So now is the perfect time to read the piece that started creative nonfiction being a popular thing. So good. We'll see how that goes. Yep. I want to read more than two classics in my life. 
Oh, they yeah. all sound so good. I just, I just fall You'll short. You'll get there. Yeah. You'll get there. I think I need to make myself read them all in one go because if you stop and start, that's where I'm like, oh, but this YA book looks so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind <laughs> yeah. of, yeah, get a bit lost. Probably, yeah. I'm really excited to share our interview today though. Yes, so this is, this is a beautiful book and we've both read it now mm-hmm. and I just loved it. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, it's a good one. So stick around and hear that now. This week, we're very pleased to welcome a debut author whose beautiful historical fiction novel has just been released. Our guest is also well known for her gorgeous cookie creations based on her favourite books. Welcome to Better Words, Lauren Chater. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's, um, as we said, like your book is just it's, gorgeous. It's beautiful. <laughs> yes, we're, we're both really enjoying it. It's very beautifully written and like the sec we... Um, you know, we both, before we had even started reading the book, knowing what it was about, um, just wanted to talk to you about, you know, your research because <laughs> we both find that really fascinating because both of us are too lazy to actually write a book. That's why we just talk to people about books. Um, um, so, yeah, I guess um, for people who might not have had a chance to, to read the book yet, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about how you came to write The Lace Weaver because um, I understand that you were inspired by something that you found at, the, at a library. Uh, that's right. So, um, I was working at my local library, um, putting the books away, and I came across a book on the knitted lace of Estonia. Um, it was a little craft book and it was on the uh, the shelf and it just called me. So I pulled it down and started reading. Um, and I was supposed to be working, so you mustn't tell my boss. <laughs> But all librarians do this. Um, and, and it was an amazing kind of story and a history about a country uh, that I had never, I'd never known about. And I hadn't known about their involvement in uh, the Second World War. And um, apart from having that little history uh, section, it was also, uh, you know, because it was a craft book, it was all about how the uh, knitted lace was made. And I just uh, thought that it was so beautiful and wondered if maybe there was a story there about um, the shawls being a, a voice for these women who were oppressed during um, the Soviet and then the Nazi occupations. Yeah. And then I did some research and uh, and went to Estonia and and then I, um, I did my second draft sort of thing and, and that was it. That's how I wrote the book. Wow. So you did go to Estonia because I, I was wondering... Yeah, I was going to ask that, about, like to tell us more about your trip and, and what you experienced. Uh, yes. So I, I travelled to Estonia in 2015. I think I'd written maybe the uh, yeah most of the first draft of the book, but it was when I really went there and um, and talked to people and travelled around the countryside that I, I connected um, on a deeper level with uh, the culture and um, and I was able to do lots more hands-on research. So I went to places that were slightly off the beaten track. Um, I did hire an Estonian guide who drove me around, which was great because he was able to get into all the places that, you know, I would never have been able to get into. Uh, yeah, you always need the locals' help. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You need that um, on-the-ground help. And uh, and so we went into the forest and he took us to meet, like, a, a forest brother, you know, or the son of a forest brother. And uh, the Forest Brothers were uh, a resistance movement in, um, in the 1940s in the Baltics. Um, and 
Uh, where else did he take? He took us to this amazing um, factory, Creenholm, which I asked him to take us to, and he sort of did the shifty, and it's it's abandoned, so he had to pay someone to get us in there, and he thought I was crazy. <laughs> that I was completely crazy. Why would you want to go and see this abandoned factory? But it, I knew that I wanted to set some of the book there and it was just um, amazing. It was so worthwhile going. So, yeah, so that was that was my trip. And it's a beautiful city, uh, country to visit anyway. Um, Tallinn, the capital city, is sort of medieval. It's a Hanseatic city and so it's got this extraordinary history um, and it's got, you know, Vikings and um, the Danes and the Russians and the Germans, the Baltic Germans, like just an extraordinary history that uh, I I hadn't known about. Yeah, I think that's the the thing um, with World War II fiction as well. It it seems like there's so much written about it, but there's also so much more that can be explored. Yes. Um, yeah. So many th- different aspects and sides to the story and yeah. smaller stories that contributed to the whole story. It's and incredible. I think women's stories as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of like notable ones that I can think of, obviously Codename Verity is, is one that's a um, young adult one that yeah. I just loved. And that was, that was the first time I realised there were like female pilots who would ferry the planes backwards and forwards to different um, air bases for the RAF pilots to fly. Um, And um, another one which focused on like such a tiny little element of the war was That Burning Summer by Lydia Simpson. I think I said that right. Um, And that was uh, kind of dealing with the, the... the main character finds a um, a pilot has crashed. Uh, I think um, I'm not sure what nationality the pilot is. I don't I don't think in the end that he, he's not German, but um, she ends up hiding him though, and he wants to um, he wants to what's the word defect um and you know it's it's kind of like such tiny little bit of I think he might have actually been Polish I have to have a look at it again but had like history in the back and it was another thing where I just was like wow I had no idea that this element of the war happened and I think that's probably what my favorite thing about the lace weaver has been has been discovering this part of the war that I just had no idea I'm so glad yeah yeah, it's mm. important to tell um, stories, yeah. So is, like, is that what appealed to you to think, you know, I want to tell this story and I want to make this more than just this piece of research that I found that's interesting in a library, you know, to actually develop it into a full novel? Yes, it was um, – I wanted to be able to, yeah, explore – what it would be what it must have been like to live under you know a Soviet occupation and then to be thrust into a war that really had nothing to do with your country um, but uh, but Estonia was sort of a puppet country like a puppet state part of the USSR and uh, yeah so that was that was my interest too um, and just yeah to tell the to tell the women's side of it because we often hear about the men and and the actual you know fighting and but we don't often hear about what it must have been like for women being back at home and having to um survive their own kind of hell really mm. yeah. um can you tell us a bit more about the the research process what are, what other things so you you found the book in the library then what's like what was the next step for you to actually start looking into and developing the story 
Uh, so I did a lot of, um, I read a lot of books. <laughs> I read a lot of, um, of course, <laughs> always the books. Um, I actually read a lot of uh, anthropological studies about um, from academics who had gone to live in Estonia because for me coming in as an outsider, I think that I could connect to those uh, experiences maybe a bit um a bit better and also they were written in English so that that always helps yeah. um, it was quite hard to find uh, books written in English and and I did t- learn a little bit of Estonian but it's an incredibly hard language to learn um, so so yeah I uh, I did a lot of um, reading of those anthropological books and I also um, went to the Estonian archives and spent a lot of time there talking to um, the women and and the men there about their own experiences, and I did a lot of interviews with um, with women who had lived um, through the war, although they're quite elderly now. So so it's hard to find those firsthand. It was hard to find those firsthand stories, and it was hard to get them to trust me. You know, at first. Mm. yeah. So I had to go back a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because they probably just thinking, you know, well, who is this person and why do they want to talk to us about this? Exactly. Yeah, who are you? What is they were trying to work out? Like what is the connection, you know? Why do you feel like you need to tell this story? Um, but at the same time, once I got to know them, they were very welcoming and very kind and offered me all sorts of help with translation and giving me little snippets. And so, yeah, that was that was the next stage for me. Oh, wonderful. Uh-huh. What, what would you say was the most challenging aspect of, of writing historical fiction, especially, as you said, about something that it was quite hard to find resources on? Um, what was the hardest thing? It was probably um, trying to fill in the gaps where, you know, I didn't have um, the knowledge about certain battles or uh, things that had events that had happened on, or I needed to connect them. Um, and I really wanted to tell some uh, some of the events, but they, my characters wouldn't have been there or they wouldn't have, uh, you know, experienced those things. And so I had to actually, you know, they talk about killing your darling, <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that term where you just have to let go of what you want as an author and um, make the sacrifices for your own story. So, you, so I had to do that. I just had to follow where my characters would have gone and let them kind of guide me into um to know what yeah what story they wanted to tell really so that was probably the hardest thing I was fascinated by the lace and the lace knitting as well it's Mm. something that I'd never ever come across before um when you were in Estonia did you get to see examples of the kind of shawls that um the girls are working on uh, yes, there is a little uh, town called Hapsalu, and that is where the knitted shawls originated from. Um, sort of in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they were very popular. The Tsar bought one for his wife, you know. Um, the Russian nobility would um, go to Hapsalu, and uh, it was very well known for its restorative mud um, properties. So they would go there to the sanatorium and get their, have their mud bath, and then they would buy shawls from the uh, promenade on their way home. And so when I went, when I went to Hapsalu, they have a, a little museum there, and the ladies were so kind and they um, took me in the back and they showed me how they were making these shawls. And 
young um, people are encouraged, very much encouraged to still learn that knitting process. And yeah. I think I think if I'm right, um, there is as a rule that you can't actually pass your um, high school diploma unless you can knit. <laughs> a <shop>. oh. <laughs> So it's a way of keeping their tradition alive, I suppose. So you can go there and they will show you how um, they make the shawls and you can buy one yourself. Yeah. Did you get one? Of course. <laughs> of course I got one. I got a few actually. But they're, they're not cheap but they're beautiful and they're handmade and, you know, there's mm. so much history behind them that they're, yeah, they're just lovely, um, a lovely gift to have. And they also did the ring trick for me Um so the, the lace is so finely made and finely woven that you it should be fine enough to pull through a wedding ring. So they, they showed me that, how to do that as well. Yes, wow. that was amazing. I loved that bit in the um, book. And I was just trying to imagine it myself, like mm-hmm. how fine something would have to be and how delicate it would have to be to fit through that. Yeah. Did you get to have a go at like trying to create your own at all or like oh. work on it a little bit? I'm not a very good knitter, I must admit. <laughs> I don't have the patience, so the best that I can knit is a pretty basic scarf. And um, oh, me too. Exactly. I'm sure if I had uh, had been trained like the young people are from a, a young age, I would be much better at it. But I just didn't have the patience, and I have two young children as well, so all my spare time goes into writing, not knitting. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to put it on my bucket list. When I yeah, them. fair enough. I think I've learnt to knit about five times during my life. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> because I forget every time. And I, I go, oh, yeah, I want to knit something. And, like, actually one of my New Year's resolutions this year was to knit a scarf that I can then actually wear and use when I go overseas at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's not even a square yet. Like it's <laughs> That's okay. It's only March. But it's only Well, March. it's actually only April by the time this goes to air. Anyway. <laughs> But yeah. Meanwhile, oh, my um, aunt who I actually live with, she yeah. just knitted last week a crown. Oh, a crown. Like, she's knitted a crown that we can now use as like for birthdays and stuff. So like, <laughs> so cute. And I told her that it looks like Jughead's cap in Riverdale, <laughs> um, but without the beanie, and she didn't know what I meant. So, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> my mum always has to finish off my my shawls for me because I just get sick of it and. But when I do do it, it's yeah. very relaxing. Like it's such a relaxing activity and it's, I, I think it's become more popular again because of that hipster now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> where people want to get back to, you know, just um, just doing quiet activities, not screen activities. Yeah, yeah. So it's become more popular again. Yeah, my mum's um, pretty amazing at knitting, like, blankets and stuff. She does really She's big things. She's knitting whole blankets? Yeah, haven't I showed you? Knitted? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So um, like I'll, have to, show quilted, you, I'll but... have to show you after this. My mum does quilting as well. Um, <laughs> but she did the pattern on, like, <laughs> this is so dorky. She did the pattern on, like, an Excel spread. Like, she worked it out the pattern. Mm. And um, so it has this really cool pattern all the way through and yeah she's done I think maybe four or five full patterned um, blankets with each of the squares and then she joins them all up Um, and so it's it's sort of like a combination of like 
patchworking initially. Yeah, because she was patchworking first. So she does each little square and then makes a pattern out of that and then pulls, like, knits it all together. Um, And she's done a couple of really, really nice, like one of them for me and then she's done a couple for friends as well and, like, um, for uh, um, one of, like, a family member's baby and stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing, but I don't know how she does it. Like, it takes so long yeah. and so much so, planning, yeah. so much planning. <laughs> speaking of planning actually um I did read that you have uh two other books in like that you have to deliver um so how's that going and you know what are you working on um so the the next one that's coming up for me is actually a non-fiction book um based on my cookies you know I have a blog the well-read cookie and mm-hmm. um this will be a number of uh, different cookies. I think there's about 60 actually and uh, why I love them. So it's like a little love letter to my favourite books but I get to make cookies for it. <laughs> so that's the next one that I've got coming up and it's been so much fun. It's actually so much fun because there's no no huge amounts of editing to do on it and it's just <laughs> – and it's cookies and books, you know. So yeah. Yeah, this weekend I'm working on a, a Mandalay gingerbread house. I mean, really, <laughs> that's – yeah, that's so much fun. <laughs> so – Oh, my God, that sounds like so much fun and probably slightly less stressful than you're writing yeah, the lace I imagine after, like, <laughs> a writing a full historical fiction novel, going back to, you know, doing what you love is probably nice and relaxing. Nice and relaxing. You don't get quite the same buzz, though, as when you've finished, you know, say a scene or a chapter or something. It's more of a slow process. It's actually more like, I would say, knitting or quilting or something. <laughs> you're putting all the different sections together and then you see the final product and you go oh that's so cool you know I saw the cover the other day and I was like oh it looks amazing so (laughs) that's exciting yeah that is yeah that's exciting um Um, actually how long did it take you to write the lace weaver to to write it um I think it took me at least two years to do um the writing and the researching Mm. um and the actual editing um, took about, yeah, probably about nine months just on and off um, with my various editors um, so that you do a structural first, which is like a big overarching edit, and then you you get drill right down into it and you do the nitty-gritty stuff like the copy editing and just making sure that the sentences um, are gr- grammatically correct and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's a big project. Yeah, it's really big. But Actually, I'm um, editing is one of the subjects I'm doing at uni so um at the moment just learning about all those different levels and what it all consists of and we're getting to like work on some of our own pieces and stuff so yeah I can already see like it just must be such a massive process to go through especially after you've already you know done so much research and everything Yes, it is. But it's it's really rewarding too. It's it's horrible when you're in it. But then once you finish it, you get a, a major sense of achievement. You know, that's it's like a big job. So yeah. um and nothing that is worth doing is comes easily, really. I don't think so. No, God no. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So that's cool. um, So sorry, what's the what's the second book that you're working on? 
as uh, well. So the second book that I'm working on is called Gulliver's Wife and it is the story of um, Gulliver's travels but told from the perspective of his long-suffering uh, wife. <laughs> and so it's set in the 1700s, early 1700s, like 1702 it starts in and um, and it's really a story about a, w- a woman's journey to understand herself and um, and her her place in the world. Um, I, as I'm writing it, I'm about halfway through it now. And again, it's incredibly hard <laughs> with the research and uh, and just putting it all together. But it's so it's so rewarding, and I love it. And it's got a lot in about uh, childbirth and women's issues, and so that and feminism and all that stuff is just coming out in it. So I'm really enjoying writing it. Is it difficult to like? take something like you said like you're building it off Gulliver's Travels is it difficult when you have that like original source material that people might be familiar with yes and that has already been interpreted so many times as well yeah yes I am I could let it completely overwhelm me and terrify me and paralyze me but luckily I've got a deadline to meet so so I don't really have time to worry about those things um but i yeah, I, I just feel like so many stories, uh, there's so many reinterpretations of things and I have never read um, the story of Gulliver's Wife. I, it actually came to me, the idea, when I was, again, working at the library, so I'm a little bit superstitious to, to leave the library <laughs> um, because that's where all the places. Yeah, um, so I, it actually came to me as I was walking around and I thought, oh, there must be a story written about Gulliver's wife. And so I went to look for it and it wasn't there. And I thought, oh, I just must have made it up myself. So I thought I would have to write, I would have to write it. Um, and so that was where the idea of that actually came from. And uh, and there's a very few references to um, Gulliver's wife in the story. Her name's Mary Burton Gulliver. She's the daughter of a, a hosier. And uh, and they have two children. So I have stuck with those. I've tried to stick as closely as possible to what is in the text about her, um, but everything else I've just sort of extrapolated and um, and used research and and my imagination to fill in. So yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. And I do love that because you know it's like all those you know pretty quotes and all those things that you hear. Write the book you want to read. Yes, and you're literally doing that, which is really cool. <laughs> I think you. I think you, as a writer, have to be. You have to be interested in your own writing. You have to want to know what happens next in the story. Otherwise, like I find it, I would find it really boring to write. <laughs> so I, if I'm, I think if I'm interested and I want to know what happens, then a reader will hopefully that will come through. So, yeah, yeah. That's a, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, thank you. <sighs> um, so obviously, you mentioned before that um, your your second book project is based on your blog, The Well-Read Cookie. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit more about that and, you know, where that started from because we were just looking again at some of the creations you've posted to Instagram and just kind of drooling oh, over them a little bit. so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so it started, I started the blog in 2014 actually. Um, I just had my daughter and because I clearly didn't have enough to do, <laughs> having like little baby at home, I thought I need a hobby. And I I had tried blogging about um, blogging book reviews before, but I just couldn't get into it. And I was finding it boring to write them again. And so I thought, oh, people are just not going to want to read this. Um, and so, uh, so I, and I'd always been good at baking. 
Um, so I tried to find something that was a bit niche and that people, some people weren't doing. And I looked, um, to see if anyone was doing sort of, uh, cookies based on book reviews and nobody was. So again, a niche to fill. Um, and I, I practiced a lot. I just taught myself. Um, I read a lot of blogs, American baking blogs. Um, there's some really famous ones like Sweet Sugar Bell and Bake It 350. Um, Bridget Edwards is Bake It 350. And that, that was how I taught myself to ice cookies. I had a lot of disasters though before I before you know the things that you see on Instagram. <laughs> <There was laughs> like all those Pinterest fails sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd taken photos actually now because I would look back at them and go, ha, 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 I actually can do that now. But uh, but that's how you learn and you just forget that you have to be kind of crap at the start <laughs> of anything um, before you can be, yeah, good. That's um actually really like interesting because I just assumed that maybe you had always done this baking and stuff like um yeah I'd always been into decorating or yeah like Amanda who we spoke to um on the podcast last year who does like manicures to match book covers she's always nail art and like so just kind of combined it so I just assumed that you'd always had this this love of you know decorating cookies and stuff and it's amazing to hear that you've just taught yourself how to do it yeah I I think it's you know you can do anything if you try and and practice and I was actually terrified of royal icing before I started using it terrified it um (laughs) it dries really quickly it's really not easy to when you start but it's also a matter of getting the right equipment right you know um a lot of the time and uh and so investing in that equipment the right tips and the right bags and things then you're saving yourself half the half the trouble I think as well um yeah decorating yeah (laughs) so these are the tricks (laughs) um Um, what was do you remember like what the first one that you did that like you thought was like really good (laughs) <laughs> yes, I do actually. Um, I had done, I can't remember which book I it was based on, maybe The Secret Life of Bees or something by Sue Monk Kidd, um, but it was a honey pot. It was a honey pot and it actually looked like a honey pot. <laughs> and uh-huh. my husband said to me, I think you actually nailed it now. You could sell these. And I was like, oh, really? And, um, and yeah, so it was that validation from someone else, you know, going, actually, I think and yeah, that's a good job. Good job. What it's supposed to look like. Um, so that was great. And I did some markets, and I did, um, I did sell them um, for a little while. I've I've stopped now just because I'm really busy. Um, so I only take on select orders now. But mm. you know, I still do them. I, I do like to do them just uh, as freebies kind of thing, just as a thank you to certain authors. If I go to an event, I'll make some cookies for them, just because I think it's a really amazing thing that authors do. Um, creating this other world for you to inhabit. And so, yeah, I like to give the cookies as gifts. Oh, that's so great. Um, I want to ask you some more about these cookies. So um, what does each, like how do you decide what to, I guess, create and, you know, how does the process go when you're making one? So usually when I'm reading the book, I'll be looking for motifs or something uh, that I can, maybe I'll be thinking about my cutters. It's all happening at the same time. (laughs) What can, um, you know, what is something that sums up this book's theme or, you know, something that readers will connect to um, and recognise as being 
you know, made famous by this book. Um, and I also I have a little book, a little notepad that I keep with me at all times, and it's my cookie, <laughs> my cookie notepad. So I've, I'll just sketch down little designs or thoughts, or sometimes I have dreams about cookies, <laughs> just because I've been baking a lot that week or something, and uh, and they'll just come to me these ideas. Um, and so then I will look through my cutters and work out um, if I've got something that will suit, or if I don't have something, I will order a cookie cutter. It's actually become really um, a lot easier to get custom cutters made because of 3D printing. Oh, yeah. to get all different shapes. Yes, yes. You get custom made ones and so I've got a, um, a sort of a supplier and she will make them for me. I just sketch out the design and she pops it in her computer and, uh, you know, voila, it's a, it's a cookie cutter. <laughs> Do you have your own custom cookie cutters? Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> It's so good. It's, I don't know if I ever use them again, but you know they're fun to create and design. And, and wow. uh, that is a lot of effort, I have to say. How many cookie cutters do you think you have? I think I have over three hundred cookie cutters. I have a whole cupboard full of cookie cutters. <gasps> That's amazing. Oh my God. How do you keep track of them all? I have them organized. <laughs> I have all them organized into um, themes, <laughs> and. Um, and, you know, um, sizes, some of them are in sizes. Oh, so, It'll be annoying sometimes when you're looking for a particular one and it's always in the last box you look at, you know, it's always. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I have to sort of psych myself up if I'm going to look for a particular one because it's going to take, you know, half a day. <laughs> and then um, how long does it take, you know, to actually go through and ice everything? Because some of them look so particular and delicate. Yes, yeah, some of them, um, it can be very deceptive because some of them are actually quite simple, the, the ones that look beautiful and complex. And then the ones that take the longest can be the ones that just have lots of different layers and they need to dry. So you have to wait um, for the layers to dry before you can start icing the next part. Otherwise, they'll just all the colours will just blend together. So usually it takes um, takes anywhere between sort of two to three hours probably to ice around, I don't know, six cookies, um, let's say. Um, but then you've got all the drying time that goes on in between um, the layers and so that can take, you know, at, at least overnight. You will uh, dry them at least for eight hours before they set completely. So, yeah, can take a long time. And I'm sure you have to keep them away from your children as well. <laughs> yes, because my children love to. <laughs> the little hand will sneak up on the bench, you know, and they also like to try and decorate their own cookies, which can be somewhat of a disaster. <laughs> so keeping <laughs> the icing away from them as well. That's adorable, though. Do they like to get into it when you're, like, decorating and they just want to hang out and play with you? My daughter especially, she'll get the toothpicks and she'll go, I'm cleaning my tips. <laughs> I'm cleaning my tips. Because um, sometimes the sugar gets clogged in the, the tip, which is that little uh, metal thing that goes at the front of your icing bag. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. So she cleans them for you? Yeah, she cleans them for me. <laughs> so adorable. She's not trying to eat them. She's very helpful. Dog's barking. <laughs> Yeah, we're just getting a few dog barks in the background as yeah. usual. Um, and I saw on Instagram as well um, in my stalking <laughs> that you're also um, about to go back to uni as well and do a master's. Yes, and I understand that you're doing your master's too, are you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah how are you finding it? 
Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm such a nerd, so I love it. Um, and I was talking to some of the um, girls at work who are still doing their undergrad and they're like not looking forward to going back to uni. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I've like planned out all my assignments and I can't wait to start. And it's just a totally different mindset to what I had when I was doing my undergrad as well. Um, I'm loving it though. I'm so excited for the writing project that I'm working on this semester. So it's like a semester long project um and I'm doing my first interview for that um in a couple of days and I'm just really excited to get started and do all the research for that sounds good yeah yeah it's because we all know how hard working is now (laughs) yeah yeah and you're like oh I would actually much rather study (laughs) (laughs) just get rid of all this other life and just study full-time although Mm -hmm. You have enough projects on. I'm so surprised you're doing your master's. What are you going to do your master's in? Um, well, it's in writing and it will yep. be at UPS. Um, so irony, when I was um, finishing high school, I actually wanted to really wanted to go to UTS and do the writing course. And the UAI was like 90, was 95. And I missed out by 0.05 of a mark. And oh so I didn't get accepted. And I was so young, I didn't know, realize that you could, you know, transfer, you could start something else and transfer. So I went and did a, a course somewhere else. And I didn't really love it that much. And so I guess I've always wanted to actually go and do the writing course at UTS. But it's nice to be able to go back and just do the master's, I think, where you can focus on what you want to um, on your own writing. And and when I was at uni as well, I, I didn't know that I had a huge amount of experience. Um, so I didn't really know what I would write about, whereas now I do as well. So I think mm. that's that's something that you only get when you're a bit more mature. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Do you think that, you know, you'll work on um, a project that, you know, may become a a published novel in the future through like, you know, when you're doing your um, dissertation and stuff like that, do you think it'll be something that you look to turn into another longer piece? It would be really good. I have um, some ideas. (laughs) I have some ideas. Um, So, but I don't want to talk about them yet because I'm not sure if it will happen. But, yeah, it, it'll be a really great thing to be able to learn um, more about the craft, I think, now that I've decided that this is going to be sort of my my career, hopefully. So. <laughs> yeah. That's so wonderful. Well, good luck with it all. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Sorry, that just broke up a little bit. <laughs> I, I was just saying, and to you too. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so, Lauren, where can people find you online so that they can um, – follow and see your amazing cookie creations um so you can um find me at my website which is www.laurenchater.com or um and i think that actually has links to my instagram um page um but also you can find me at www.wellreadcookie.com the wellread cookie and my instagram is um the wellread cookie and the little gaps have um, are just with little gaps in between. So yeah, you can find me on Instagram and and say hi. So, <laughs> yeah, excellent. And everyone, of course, has to find us on Instagram at Better Words Pod, um, and check out our website betterwordspodcast.com. Subscribe sign up for our newsletter. Subscribe for our newsletter. <laughs> all the things that we say every single week. Um, uh, <laughs> thank yeah. you so much for joining us, Lauren. That's all right. Thank you so much for having me.